Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for conversations with veterinarians, oncologists, rehab therapists, and other experts discussing amputation for dogs and cats. Find more info, helpful care tips, and a free gift at tripods.com radio. At Tripods, we want to know, what are the long-term effects of amputation in dogs? What mobility challenges do they face over time? Could a lifetime study answer these questions? And is that even possible? Find out on this episode of Tripod Talk Radio. And scratching like a three-legged dog. For any tripod, cat or dog. Why do some vets do things that way? Why? So many people don't realize that their dogs are in pain. He's a three-legged dog and he's still pretty good. Hello and thank you for listening. This is Tripod Talk Radio, episode number 85, recorded on October 7th, 2019. Here at Tripods, we are passionate about educating people to help their amputee pets live a long, healthy life on three legs. And so is today's guest, Dr. Felix Dewar from Colorado State University's Department of Small Animal Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. We have had the honor of meeting Dr. Dewar a number of times and having him as a previous guest on this show. Over the years, we have tossed around the idea of a lifetime study to analyze the long-term effects of limb amputation on dogs. Something similar to the popular Golden Retriever Lifetime Study currently underway could provide important insight into the mobility challenges and biomechanical changes tripods experience over time. But what would it take to perform a lifetime longitudinal study like this? We'll learn what that term even means, the important discoveries such a study might reveal, and the challenges to make it happen. Please welcome Dr. Felix Dewar to help us understand more. Welcome to the show, Dr. Dewar. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, and thank you for bringing this topic, giving this topic some attention. Oh my gosh, it, Dr. Dewar, it is so good to have you back. And this is um, this is a really fun topic that we're going to discuss today because it's kind of it's a wild dream, really, and um, something that that you and I talked about when Wyatt was at CSU for his last evaluation. Um, I've been thinking about a, a lifetime study for a while now because. I've been watching our dog get older, and I have seen the effects that being three-legged has had on him. And I know there's other dogs out there who are going through the same thing, if not much worse, because they're not receiving the kind of awesome care that Wyatt gets when we're at CSU. Um, so, I, you know, you and I had kind of bounced around this idea um, during our appointment, and I thought, well, let's do a little discussion about it so that maybe we could get some input from other people and, and see if we can make this dream a reality. Um, so, so thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. I'm happy to do so. So when it comes to uh, three-legged dogs, you, have, you see a lot of them in your work. And can you describe to us the kinds of challenges that you're seeing with dogs who have been on three legs, even for a short period of time, but definitely over the course of, you know, two, three or more years. Yeah, I'd love to. So I think maybe to give everybody a little bit of a summary of kind of what we see here, I think um, there's a, a wide range of reasons for dogs to become tripods. So one of them could be that there is, uh, let's say, a bone cancer. It's a common problem in the lower leg. And then um, amputation is still one of the most common uh, choices to treat that. 
and that's probably where most of the research was done in the in the cancer world. And there was, as all of you probably have heard this before, there is a saying that you know uh, dogs come with three legs and a spare, meaning that they do quite well with a limb amputation. And I think that's very true. When there is a cancer or if there is something that uh, can't be fixed or, you know, that we don't have a good treatment option for, it is a great option and it's, it's, it's good for us to have that as a, a solution uh, that they get around very well on three legs. And particularly during the early phase, um, you know, we can help them to adjust to that. But um, they, you know, they can do amazing things on three legs, as, as most people that listen to this probably know. Um, so that's great. But then there is this other part, and that is when uh, dogs become older, like you mentioned, and they have been walking on three legs for a long time. There is a lot of uh, changes that occur, and that then have an impact on many of other joints. And um, that's what we see a lot in our uh, orthopedic medicine and mobility service, and that is the, uh, that dogs, at some point, they have a more difficult time to compensate for that. And that becomes harder then to address because now you have all these joints that, that are arthritic or collateral ligaments that are have been you know, taken over too much work, and, um, you know, it's harder then to uh, address that once they uh, those changes are chronic. Yeah, we've definitely seen that in Wyatt over time. Um, arthritis has kind of uh, taken over his world a little bit, and we try to manage it as, as best we can, but these are things that we never saw in our first tripod who lost a front leg, which I know has um, different consequences. But, you know, he was only a tripod for two years. So we didn't get to experience this whole range of effects. And can you tell me, what, what do we know and, and not know about the biomechanical challenges of, of being a tripod? Yeah, that's a great question. There actually is some work that came out of the um, oncology department here at CSU where basically what they did is they did uh, gait analysis and kinematics, so that is uh, putting markers on the dogs and looking at the uh, motion in the joints and the spine. And so they basically compared normal dogs to uh, tripods. So they had one group that was uh, forelimb amputees and one group that was uh, pelvic limb amputees. And so we do know a lot about that. So there's a, there's there's quite a few changes as one might expect that happen with that. So there's you know, obviously, when uh, you remove uh, one of the legs, there is more forces that are acting on the other three legs because the dog is still weighing the same amount. There also were identified specific joints that then have to have greater range of motion because of that, so it's a, a compensation mechanism. There's much more motion in the vertebral column. And one of the other things is that happens with that, and that's, I think, what we see clinically a lot, is that because that second leg is missing on the, in the front or in the back, um, the remaining leg has to shift uh, the uh, location, so shift the center of gravity. And so that's, th that's not really designed that way. So that's, I think, why we see a lot of these secondary arthritic changes and changes to the collateral ligaments or the ligaments that are stabilizing the joints. Um, over time, because it, it's not something, you know, that's a problem for, like you say, maybe a year or two or something like that. But when you see dogs that had, for example, an amputation uh, as a puppy, 
when they become older, yeah, that's that's where um, that becomes an issue. Yeah, and how many kinds of studies, just off the top of your head, um, how many studies exist right now that look at this specific subject? You know about the effects of of a amputation on a on a dog. Do you can you guess? Oh sure, yeah. I think there there's different types of studies, right? So the, um, the you know there's uh, quite a few. I mean, when I say quite a few, overall, I think you know uh, the effects of that we're talking about. You know, a couple of handful of studies. Um, so, but there is um, you know a number of studies that have done uh, basically have surveyed owners of dogs uh, with three legs. And the the question is being what's their quality of life and, you know, what kind of changes do they see? And, and you know, not surprisingly, you know, this is a bit of a, um, you know, it's, a, it, it's not the greatest way to research that question, asking owners that potentially have uh, elected to amputate their dog's leg uh, to be like, what do you think about it? Because obviously you want to do the best for your dog and, um, you know, you don't want to feel like, oh, that was the wrong decision. So I think there's a little bit of bias with that. But uh, despite that, I think mm-hmm. people identify that there are some changes uh, in, the, in the dog's attitude, what they do and all that. But the, it is really, the, it goes back to your point of none of these studies have really looked at this more in the long term, right? Um, that's really the information that's missing, and that's where I think we have some work to do is identifying, well, what is the timeline for a dog to really have significant problems that are not easily fixable from uh, amputation? Yeah, and that's where I think a, a lifetime study of a group of dogs would be amazing because I have known so many tripods who are who had amputations as puppies and now they're older. They're like my dog. They're, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old. I know one that's 13 and she's a a German shepherd, a large dog. And it would have been great if back when they were puppies, you know, we had been able to track the changes that are happening to them. So when the golden retriever lifetime study came out, I thought, well, what if we could do that for tripods? What if we could follow these dogs around all their lives and, and see what happens so that clinicians like you have the data that you need to help improve their quality of lives and educate us owners? Um, first, can you explain a little bit, uh, just briefly, what is, what is a longitudinal study? I heard the, the Golden Retriever one re- referred to as that. Yeah, uh, I think it, uh, basically what that means is that you follow the same uh, study participant over time. So I guess okay. in 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 this uh, in this scenario, what what we basically what we want to know is what are the impacts of amputation in you know down the road. You know, let's make it ten years, right? Um, so there's there's two ways to study that. There is one way where you say you know we're just going to what's called a cross sectional study where we're going to look at ten year old dogs with four legs and then compare them to ten year old dogs with three legs and then see what is the difference in, you know, degree, amount of arthritis, all that. The problem with that is that we cannot necessarily say that that degree of arthritis is because of being a three-legged dog. Let's say we find more arthritis in the three-legged dogs than the four-legged dogs. 
you know, it could be that that was because there was another disease that was maybe they had um, elbow dysplasia to start out with. We don't know what they started with. And so that's the reason to do a longitudinal study, that you basically get the information that you need to know as you, as these dogs age. So the Golden Retriever study um, enrolls the dogs and then follows them on an annual basis to know, well, what has changed in their environment and what, you know, what other problems did they have? Did they have any accidents? That type of thing. And And what kind of solutions can we extract from what we would learn from a, a lifetime study of three-legged dogs? Yeah, I think there there is a lot of things that we can learn from this, right? That's where the Golden Retriever study, I think that's a lot. I mean, the amount of work and effort and the team involved in that, that it, it's incredible how when you actually start uh, looking more into these questions, uh, the amount of information that's collected is just uh, you know, uh, uh, incredibly uh, large. And so that's the problem, that you start out with this question for the uh, for this study, for example, well, what, how much arthritis is there? But then you want to know, well, what did they start out with? So then you got to decide, well, what is the test that we want to do at the time of enrollment? So would this have to be, for example, a whole body CT where you can look at every joint and decide what is the amount of arthritis they started out with. Do you need to know is this dog um, genetically predisposed, for example, for bad hips, hip dysplasia, that type of thing, right? So I think that then it goes to the next part. Well, how active is the dog? What, you know, what are they doing? Are they overweight? All of these things play a role um, in, in joint disease. When were they neutered? And so all that information has to be collected so that we then later on have data that actually answers the question and that we know what would be the what we call confounding factors, so factors that may then make that group appear like it has more arthritis because they're three-legged, but truly it might have been because of something else. So in other words, there's a, a lot of important information about all aspects of their life that, that we could take from a study like this. I mean, everything from you know, how being overweight affects them to how the right and wrong kinds of activity impacts them. Um, so this, this is like, I mean, it would, be, it would be wonderful if we could do this, but here's the million-dollar question, like how much money would we need for something like this and how many dogs would it take to come up with a good uh, sampling of data for you guys? Yeah, I think that's funny that you said it's a million-dollar question. <laughs> so this is really, um, yeah, that's that's a great question, and I think that really depends on um, how we would design that study. So, you know, the more information we get, the better is, in the end, what we can uh, make out of that data in 10 years or so. And you can't turn back time. So what I mean by that is most of the problems that we have is, and, you know, as well-funded as the Golden Retriever study is, you know, there are, for example, some questions we won't be able to answer with that because, for example, they didn't have uh, some of the screening for orthopedic disease that, you know, we would want to incorporate into a study like this where we're really focused on orthopedic problems, right, because you can't, you can't cover everything, and it's just impossible. Mm -hmm. So I guess the, the cost of a study like this really depends on how many dogs do we enroll, how often do we um, evaluate them, 
and then what are the type of evaluations that we want to do and then what you know what is the owners what is their expectation so is everything has to be for free or does it just have to be discounted so to give you an idea on um you know if we're going to just talk through the enrollment so i think if we would do that we would like to know, uh, and I mentioned the whole body CT, what is the status of the joints um, when they are uh, receiving their amputation or, you know, potentially some might be born with that. And so, you know, a CT scan, and obviously this wouldn't be just um, a single institution study, so this would be multiple institutions so that we can uh, get uh, enough uh, cases in a, in a meaningful timeline, meaning that we will still know the results when, while we're alive. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I think a CT scan, depending on where you live, costs anything between somewhere maybe the lowest cost somewhere, you know, maybe a thousand dollars to maybe two and a half thousand dollars. And so, you know, then the the rechecks they um could be a CT scan, but they could also just be radiographs. So um, you know, it, it really uh becomes costly quite quickly. And then the other part that's really important with this is that we want to have good data. So we want to make sure that we actually um, ask owners, and that's a big part of what uh, the, the Golden Retriever study is doing, making sure that people actually fill out the surveys and then follow up with them. Because if you just look 10 years later, you'll find out, oh, we only have complete surveys on 10% of the dogs, and that's not really uh, what we want, right? So you need people that their job is to literally track down the data. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then you got to pay those as well. So, um, yeah, no, I think it's definitely a, um, it's a pricey endeavor. And do you think it's realistic? I mean, if we had let, uh, some very generous donors who, you know, donated, let's dream and say $3 million, I mean, could that cover the cost, do you think, if we – designed it in a way that you could get some meaningful information with that amount of money or would it take even more than that no i i think you know honestly i haven't really done a, a true budget on this i think but those are the numbers that we're talking uh-huh. about yeah i think with those figures we would you know we would hire uh, somebody that that's their, their their responsibility and then we would design the study according to uh, what the funds available are and we'll we'll have to decide what is it that we really want to focus on and what do we spend the money on right maybe it would be maybe we'll just do radiographs of the most commonly affected joints that might be easier and more feasible so i think there's ways to make it work but i think um, you know that is kind of the uh, the kind of the uh, numbers that I've been thinking out that it is in the multiple million dollar uh, range, unfortunately. Okay, and would that amount um, be for uh, like a ten year study, or would it, could we do um, a three or five year study? What what would be the best amount of time within a reasonable budget to come up with some useful data? Yeah, I think the. Uh, my answer to that would be uh, that once we have these dogs enrolled, 
um, I would love to continue following them lifelong. And the reason mm. for that is because there's a lot of work that goes into the enrollment, and you already have that baseline data. So I think you probably um, then, you know, once you actually have a dog and an owner that are committed to this supplying all the data, then I think the extra cost, to say just make it three or five years rather than lifelong, I think that is probably, I would probably rather enroll less dogs than stop early. I do think, however, that this is not um, a study that would just be published in, in you know, 15 years, um, but rather I think you publish data along, you know, while, while you collect some information. So, you know, one of the questions that came up during this conversation is, well, what is the timeline? When do dogs actually develop arthritis after this? So that's, you know, great information to have. So just even being able to say a one-year follow-up of, you know, a subset of dogs enrolled would already be super valuable information, right? I'm, I'm kind of thinking if we show that, yeah, there actually are already changes at one year, that maybe this would be information for the veterinary community to consider and uh, consider some of these newer options. You know, we, we've, we've talked a lot about uh, prosthetics and we're doing a lot of work in that. You know, there are some, some new options that are becoming more popular, and I think if we have that data, that will probably make it more common knowledge in, amongst veterinary and, and dog owners too. So, with the dogs that you would sample, um, what would be an ideal number? Would you say for a lifetime study? Yeah, so that really depends on the question that we want to ask. So um, that is, you know, something that we we would uh, decide based on what is our, you know, what's the number one question that we want to answer. But the um, the 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 truth about this is that um, there isn't going to be like a a lot of data that we have to to do a real uh, what we call a, a power calculation, a sample size calculation, where we know exactly how many dogs we need. But based on understanding arthritis and the secondary um, effects. Um, there's a lot of variables that play a role, like we talked about, you know, genetic predisposition, you know, their weight and um, their activity level and all that. So I guess I would say there really isn't a real limit to the number of dogs. So I think we do want to in include as many as possible. So I think if we can get into the, um, the three digits, that would be something that we'd love to do. And, you know, the answer to that is really it's dependent on the funding, um, but mm -hmm. the more the better. Okay, that, that totally makes sense. And um, getting back to your previous statement, I, I really like the idea of being able to track them through their lives and then release, um, release findings as we go, because I, I see that being done with the Golden Retriever study, and that's, that's pretty cool, and it keeps, keeps it in the public eye for sure. And um, as far as the incentives for people to participate, um, you handle a lot of studies at, in your position, and what do you find is the biggest incentive for pet parents to participate in something like this? Like, what makes them do it? Yeah, I think for our studies, we do have very, there's different groups of, 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 of dog owners. I think 
Um, for some owners, it's they they want to support uh, the research, and honestly, the finances or the time they spend doesn't really matter. They they would do it even if they pay full cost. For some other people, it's just you know that it helps uh, doing the best for their dogs, so helping with the treatments that they would like to do for their dogs. So. Um, the the I think one of the concerns is that it just it it's always takes a lot of time, right? Filling out these questionnaires and going to the vet and having those X-rays done. If there isn't a real direct benefit for um, their dog, it's going to be a little bit harder to get people to um, uh, do these follow-up visits. So what I mean by that is. The more things we can offer that are actually um, having a potential impact for the direct health of that individual enroll patient, um, the better. So things like routine blood work and um, you know recheck radiographs on if there is a problem, the study covers it. So that encourages people to actually go see their veterinarian so that we know, oh, there is a problem and we have that data and it is of direct benefit for that individual dog. So I think that would be a really important part to um, include in the study. And then obviously that that's hard to plan for, right? Because um, you know, somebody, obviously we can't say recover the co cost of any orthopedic injury and mm -hmm. then a dog needs bilateral total mm -hmm. hip replacement and, you know, in certain areas that will cost $20,000 together, right? So then that, yeah. that shrinks the budget pretty quickly. But, you know, some sort of... Um, you know, incentive of like kind of like a pet insurance where, um, you know, per visit, if you have completed all your questionnaires and if you've done all your exams and all that, um, the study pays a part uh, of those, um, you know, diagnostics and treatments up to a certain amount. I think something like that would be a really great incentive to make sure that we get good data. Oh, I do too. I could see how it would really encourage people to to keep up with the regular wellness visits. And heck, I know I would love for Wyatt to have uh, radiographs paid for, you know, once or twice a year. That would be awesome. Um, Dr. Dewar, we have taken way too much of your time. I can't thank you enough for being here and bouncing these ideas around with us. Um, I can't wait to hear what our community has to say about maybe, you know, embarking on a study like this and finding the funding to do it because it would be so helpful for us. So thank you for kicking this off, and um, hopefully you and I will get to see it happen. That sounds great. I look forward to it. Thank you very much for your time. Yes, thank you so much, Dr. Durer, for your time today and for the work you are doing to help tripods live happier lives. Listeners can keep this discussion going by sharing this episode of Tripod Talk Radio with their vets and veterinary colleagues. Find all Tripod Talk episodes at tripods.com slash radio. He's a three-legged dog and he's still pretty good. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for more pet amputation tips from experts. And claim your free gift just for listeners at downloads.tripods.com slash podcast.